It's good to be with you tonight. Let me just take a moment and give you an update on our family. I know some of you may want to ask me about that. It'll save a little time you're asking separately. Our son Frederick is on staff at uh, Central Baptist Church in Decatur. He had served at First Baptist Church on staff for about seven years, then went out to California and stayed seven years as pastor in Turlock, California and has returned to Decatur now and serving as an associate pastor at Central Baptist. Uh, he and Kimberly have two children. Uh, Corey is 11 years old. That's their daughter. And then their son, Pierce, is eight years old. Uh, we had the privilege of spending a few days with them. We came from uh, California into Birmingham and drove down to, or drove up to Decatur and spent uh, from Tuesday through this morning with them and then drove into the Birmingham area and over here this afternoon. And going back uh, to Birmingham to catch a flight tomorrow morning and go over to Baton Rouge and visit our family. That's where Doris and I are from. And uh, we're going to visit family there and then head back to California uh, January the 1st. Our daughter Kimberly and her husband are in Seattle. They just moved there in August. Uh, having served in Gilroy, uh, California, for eight years, I guess it was seven or eight, and uh, then left from there and went to Golden Gate Seminary working on his doctoral program and uh, has not quite completed that, working on his dissertation. But then uh, God called him to go to Seattle and he's working as a church planter catalyst meaning he's working with other church planters in Seattle area trying to get uh, churches started there. And you help support that through uh, cooperative program. Some of that money goes to North American Mission Board. And then as you give at the Easter offering, the Annie Armstrong offering, a portion of that money goes to help with that too. So uh, you're involved in that work that's taking place uh, in Seattle. Darcy and I are still in Visalia, California. We've been there now six and a half years. Uh, I retired after 40 years in the ministry and uh, stayed out a year helping our uh, daughter and her husband. They had just returned from the mission field. They were uh, living in Birmingham, had speaking engagements that were required of them by the mission board. And so we moved to Birmingham and stayed there for a year helping to keep the children so that they could go out on those speaking engagements. And then after that year, they moved out to California. Uh, We moved up to Decatur and helped our son with his youth ministry there at First Baptist. And then God eventually led us out to California also. And uh, we've started all over. Uh, Church there was uh, a church that's existed as long as this church has. Uh, But they'd gotten down to about 30 to 35 members that were mainly senior adults, so I fit right in when I went out there. (laughs) Uh, And during that time that we've been out there, we've been able to at least get it back up to around 60 average, about the highest we've had, I think, has been 85. Uh, But we're hoping to rebuild that church so that they can call a younger pastor with a family and be able to afford to do that and uh, get that church revived again. It needs to be, and I trust you'll remember that in your prayers. It's the... Uh, Woodland Drive Baptist Church in Visalia, California. 
Uh, Doris has been involved in our church with ESL ministry. Some of you may be familiar with that. It's English as a second language. Uh, God had led her to be trained while we were still in Alabama. And uh, not a lot, lot of opportunities to use it here, but we did in Tennessee. And then after moving out to California, she has been used of God to lead uh, workshops, various places across California, training other people to go back in their churches and establish those ministries. And we have that ministry in our own church. Uh, we also have a Filipino congregation that meets in our old auditorium. They average about 60 or 70 in attendance. So altogether, we have about 120, 130 people utilizing the building, where six years ago we only had 30 utilizing it. So we're grateful for that. Uh, we need to have a Hispanic work started there. Uh, we had hoped we'd get that done with our ESL ministry class. It just has not happened. Uh, but it is a desire of our heart that we would see that taking place. Well, I made a commitment as a seminary student that I would quit preaching with notes. But lately, because I'm better able to remember a sermon from 30 years ago than I am the one I preached that morning, I utilize notes, but I don't have any tonight. In fact, I just bought this new Bible at Lifeway in Decatur, and uh, I've had no time to write anything in it for notes. I'm sort of reminded of the pastor who got into the pulpit and said, well, I don't know where my notes are. He kept looking around for them, and he searched through his coat pockets and finally said, I'm sorry, I just, I, I must have left my sermon notes at home or in the office somewhere. We'll just have to trust the Lord tonight and next week I'll do better, okay? <laughs> so we're going to trust the Lord tonight and uh, next week your pastor will do better. All right. I want you to turn with me to a Christmas passage. I know we've gotten a couple of days past Christmas, but it's still the Christmas season for most of us. Love your decorations. Love the way you've taken care of the building. Uh, it's beautiful inside. I walked down the hallway a little bit and uh, saw some of that. You keep it maintained. I think, you know, God's house ought to be maintained well. And you're doing that, and I appreciate the fact that you're doing that. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, 
they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Well, we've just passed Christmas Day. We're still in what we think of the Christmas season. And you notice this passage began by saying, after Jesus was born. So this was after that first Christmas when this occurred, the events that we've read about recorded by Matthew. So we've just gone through another Christmas season, Christmas Day. As I'll ask the question of you, did you find this past Christmas to be a lot of trouble for you? You know, I've heard people say before, I'll be glad when Christmas is over with. (laughs) And I think by that they mean that they've gotten so caught up in all of the things having to do with the Christmas season that they're just worn out. It it may be that they've stretched themselves time-wise. They found themselves involved in shopping, parties, various activities with family, church activities. And they just are exhausted because of the schedule that you have to maintain during the Christmas season. Other people find Christmas be a lot of trouble because they have stretched their budget too far. They've bought for this person, bought for that person, suddenly remembered, you know, they gave us something last year, we better give them something this year. On and on it goes until the next thing you know, you've just overstretched yourself and you found Christmas to be a lot of trouble. Well, I hope it wasn't for you. I don't think Christmas should ever be a lot of trouble. But apparently it is for a lot of people. I heard about a book a number of years ago that was written to help people get through the difficulties of the Christmas season. The title of it was this. I saw mommy kicking Santa Claus. Now that sounds like somebody having a lot of trouble, doesn't it? You say, well, what's troubling about Christmas got to do with this passage? Well, apparently... Herod was troubled with the first Christmas. It says in verse 3, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And some of the translations say Herod was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And so we find here that on that first instance when Jesus Christ was born, the first Christmas, that there were those who found it to be a troubling experience. Then let me share with you some reasons why I think Herod found it to be troubling. And I believe that some of these reasons are the same reasons people find it troubling today. First of all, Herod wasn't prepared for Christmas. 
Not at all. He wasn't anticipating that this was going to take place. So he wasn't prepared for it. That's interesting when we think about that because in spite of the fact that Herod cannot be thought of as an Israelite, as a Jew, at least he has kinship to them. His family has descended down from Esau. The Israelites have come from Jacob. And so Herod knew a lot about the Jews. And in fact, he's now ruling over the Jews. But he's unprepared for this event that's taking place. Now, why is it that Herod was unprepared for this event? Well, first of all, I believe he was unprepared because he had lost sight of the heritage of God's people. You see, if he had known anything about what had taken place down through history, the heritage of God's people, he would have realized what God had been promising all along was going to take place. He would know that God had promised a Messiah was going to come. He would have known that that Messiah was going to be of the descendant of David. He would have known that God had always been faithful to whatever he had promised These prophecies that Matthew writes about being fulfilled, that's just a small portion of what God had done. Down through the ages, God said he's going to do something, God did something. That was the heritage of God's people. They could rely upon God fulfilling exactly what God had said he was going to do. You say, well, Fred, what does that have to do with us? Well, I believe sometimes we forget the heritage of God's people as it is led down to today. I think a prime example of that is to hear anyone say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. I don't like organized religion. Well, my friend, if it wasn't for the heritage of the Christian church, that person would have never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and so they owe a debt of gratitude to the heritage of God's people, what God's people have done down through the ages. And my friend, I think it's a sad day when we come to realize that very few of those who name the name of Jesus Christ and have their name on a membership roll of a church even darken the doors of the church. And it's getting worse. People are just saying, I have no need for the church itself. Now, when I hear people say, I don't like organized religion, I don't either, in one sense. (laughs) But I don't think of Christianity as being a religion. I think of it as being a way of life. It's a way of salvation. It's a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I suggest to you that at one time, it was simply an organized religion for me. And those of you who know me know my story. I joined a church when I was 11 years old, organized religion. And I thought I was a Christian because I was a member of the church. I believed God existed. I believed Jesus existed. I was trying to live a good life. I was hoping I'd live good enough to get to go to heaven. But that's all there was to it. But it was organized religion. And my friend, I don't like organized religion, but I love Jesus and I love his people and his church. And I don't want to ever forget the heritage of God's people. You know, there's a heritage for Meadowbrook Baptist Church. And there are some who have forgotten that heritage. Some who even found Christ here may no longer have any regard for any church, much less Meadowbrook. But they've forgotten that God used this church to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Don't forget the heritage of God's people. 
But I think there's another reason why Herod wasn't prepared, and that is that he wasn't listening as he ought to to the Word of God. You say, well, what access did Herod have to the Word of God? My friend, he's living in Jerusalem. The temple is there. There are synagogues throughout the area where he rules. The Word of God is taught there. When he wants to know where this so-called newborn king has been born, who does he turn to? The keepers of the word. And, And if he had known the word of God, he shouldn't have had to ask anybody. He could have said to the wise man, oh, I know that verse. I know where to find that. That's going to be Bethlehem. But he ignored the word of God. Now, we live in a day and age that really surprises me that if you'd asked me 30, 40 years ago, do I think we'd ever come to a point where we are today? I'd have said, no way. You say, what are you talking about? I think the Christian church is ignoring the Word of God. My personal feeling is that most of the problems we have in America today are the result of the Christian church forsaking this Word. My friend, when major denominations can endorse sinful activity described in the Word of God as being sin and endorsing that activity, it says that somehow so-called Christians have just forgotten about the Word. Now, my friend, I don't care what's politically correct. I believe we ought to follow what's biblically correct. And I don't care what the majority says. I remember a majority on one occasion that voted not to go into the promised land when they should have, and they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And I just wonder sometimes if maybe we as the Christian church in America today are just wandering in the wilderness. You say, well, preacher, I haven't forgotten the word of God. Well, I'm glad you haven't. But we ought to be concerned about what we're seeing in the Christian church. Because the word of God is just being set aside. And man's ideas are more important than what God has to say. Well, that was one of Herod's problems. And because he had neglected the heritage of God's people, neglected the word of God, he wasn't prepared for Christmas. But there's another reason I believe it was troubling to him. He was just pretending that he wanted anything to do with Christmas. Remember what he said to the wise men? You go search for the baby. Come tell me where he is. My friend, any person in his right mind having been delivered the message that the Magi delivered to him and really wanting to worship this newborn baby, the Christ child, would have been willing to travel the six miles he had to go to Bethlehem. Six miles. He could have walked that in two hours. (laughs) He could have gotten in one of his chariots and made it there in a few minutes. But he was pretending. Two ways in which I think he was pretending. Number one is I think Herod was pretending that he had any type of commitment whatsoever to the God of Israel. Pretending that. And my friend, there's a number of people today who pretend that they have any type of relationship to the God of Israel through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Herod could well be called the great pretender. Because he was. You know, you don't get the impression from the wise men that they doubted his sincerity. You see, they were ready to go back to Jerusalem and let him know exactly where they found the Christ child. Until God warned them to do something different. Now, if they had questioned Herod and doubted his sincerity, God wouldn't have had to warn them. They'd have just gotten on their camels or whatever they came on and gone back home and forgot about Herod. But he did a good job of pretending to be a Christian. You ever met anybody pretending to be a Christian? My friend, in 40-something years of ministry, I've met many of them. You say, well, you're judging them. No, they later confessed that to me. They said, I joined the church. I got baptized. And all this time, I've been pretending to be a Christian. Knew one person who told me that as a young man, he pretended to be a Christian because he knew that the girl he wanted to date would not date him unless he was a Christian. So he just pretended to be one. My friend, don't pretend to be a child of God. Be the real thing by faith in Jesus Christ, trusting him and him alone as your Savior and Lord. He is the basis of our salvation. But it's another way in which he pretended not only to have a relationship to this God, but also to have any type of commitment to him. You notice he didn't say to the wise men, you go find this Christ child and then I'll come and just see him. Wasn't what he said. He said, I'll come worship him. I'll come worship him. He's acting as though he has some real commitment to him. For several years, I served in South Alabama, about 65 or 70 miles north of Mobile, a couple of different congregations. A neighboring church of ours had a couple that was later called to the foreign mission field. They, since God calling them, they resigned from their church, they went to the foreign mission field. They served five years, came back on stateside assignment, it's what we call it now, it used to be called furlough, but they came back to the States. And he went back to that church where he had pastored for about four or five years. He told me, he said, Fred, I could not believe what I learned while I was there. And I said, what is that? He said, the WMU director of the church, who would always sit on the first or second pew, that amened everything I said while I was preaching. I found out upon coming back that the whole time I was there, She was living in adultery. My friend, what hypocrisy. Don't don't pretend to be committed to Jesus Christ. If you're not committed, don't make it up. But what I would suggest to you is be committed. Be committed. Herod pretended to have a commitment, but he didn't really have it. The third thing I think was troubling to Herod at this point, not only the fact that he was pretending and not only the fact that he had ignored some things, but also because he let it pass him by completely. Passed him by. Isn't it interesting that Herod, who became a person of judgment, if you please, because he decided that he was going to judge the people 
by killing all those children under a certain age, trying to get rid of the Christ child. He thought he could outsmart God. He, he thought he could get away with something with God. We didn't do it. He, he had a unique opportunity that few men have, or few women. Unique opportunity. But he let it pass him by. My friend, I wonder if you're letting opportunities pass you by. Maybe the opportunity to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Those of you who have heard my testimony know that I was stationed in Tripoli, Libya, North Africa, thinking I was a Christian, got involved with some independent missionaries who were operating a medical clinic. They asked me to fix the door on their apartment. I went to do it that day, stayed for lunch, and while they're at lunch, Margie Heaston talked about the day that she was born again as a Christian. I'd never heard that term. And I went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'd even preached in the church I grew up in to let music in it, taught Sunday school starting when I was 18 years old. And when I heard those words, born again, You know what she's talking about. But you know something else? I was too proud, too proud to say, Margie, what are you talking about? But by God's grace, she referred to John chapter 3 where Jesus told Nicodemus, a man must be born again. And I went back to the barracks and I got out a New Testament that that missionary doctor had given me for Christmas hadn't even opened it just stuck it in a drawer (laughs) I got it out and I read John chapter 3 and my thought was how have I missed out on this but I didn't just close it up and say well no big deal (laughs) it was a big deal I turned to Matthew and I started reading the New Testament I'd read pieces here pieces there had never read it completely through. For the first time in my life, I read it. And I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Don't pass by the opportunity to know Jesus Christ. If you have godly parents who have talked to you about knowing Jesus, come to Jesus. If you have a spouse who's talked to you about knowing Jesus, come to Jesus. Here's the other opportunity he let pass him by that we let pass by. And that is to tell others about him. I had an interesting thing to happen just a few weeks ago, and I'm going to close with this. We have an elderly lady, we have a lot of elderly ladies in our church. <laughs> but this particular lady, Lulu Allen, came out and said, Pastor Fred, I want to tell you about something that just took place this past week, experience I had. She said, I was in a business place talking with a young man, and he wished me a Merry Christmas. She said, I responded and said, yes, it's going to be a Merry Christmas because I'm going to celebrate the birthday of my Jesus. And here's what the young man said. Who is that?
Isn't it interesting? He knew to say Merry Christmas because we were going through the Christmas season. But Jesus was a word he didn't know. A name he didn't know. And she had the opportunity to tell him. She said, he asked me, how old is he? And she said, oh, he's ancient. (laughs) He's ancient. But oh, listen. He's new every morning, isn't he? Fresh to us. And what a precious name we have. And you and I have opportunity to share that message with others. Don't let it pass you by. Herod had the opportunity to know Jesus. He had the opportunity to share with his kingdom that he thought he had, who that Jesus was. But he let it pass him by. Don't do that. Not just at Christmas season, but throughout the year. And I suggest to you, if we do these things, committed to Jesus Christ, truly committed, sharing him with others across the year, then when Christmas rolls around, it means all the more to us. Don't let Christmas be a lot of trouble. Let it be a blessed season that it's intended to be and can be. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage, Father. And so many times we read the Christmas story, we hear it, and we say, well, I've heard that before. I've read that before. And we fail to look again to find fresh meaning to it. Now, maybe there's someone here tonight that has lost sight of the heritage of your people. The church just doesn't mean to them what it ought to mean. Or perhaps they have uh, set aside your word. They're doubting your word. They're not seeking to live by your word. They're listening to all the voices that are out there that say something else. God, I pray that you'll speak to those individuals tonight. And then, Father, maybe there's someone here tonight that has never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Oh, they've got their name on a church roll. They've even gone beneath the baptismal waters, but it's just a pretense. God, I pray tonight they would be saved. Or maybe someone who's just pretending to be committed. Maybe their faith has never really been tested, and if it is tested, they would never pass the test because they're just pretending. God, I pray that you'll work in their life to bring them to a genuine commitment tonight. And may each of us be committed to not let an opportunity of witness pass us by, but to be willing to stand up and to speak up for our Savior, Jesus Christ. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Pastor. Abba, where?